This is the gateway. This is the trailhead. This is how you know you're on the pathway to hope. Hey, Cross United, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I'm so glad you've joined us for this message. I want to encourage you to turn or tap in your Bible or your app to Romans 5. We're going to get there in just a minute. Uh, while you're turning or tapping there, I want to encourage you um, to check out crossunited.org where you can click online check-in. That will take you to a digital connection card for um, a way for us to know how to pray for you, ways you can get connected to the church. Also there at crossunited.org on the top right-hand side of the menu button, there is a button that says give. That will take you to our secure online giving platform. If you consider Cross United your church home or you just consider yourself a generous person, we encourage you to give uh, to and through our church. Also want to remind you, next week we are moving our service time one hour earlier. We will be worshiping at 10.30 a.m. starting on Sunday, December 6th. If you get here early on that Sunday, um, you will uh, be right on time. So 10.30 a.m for our worship service starting December the 6th. As you're there in your Bible, uh, we're going to be talking this morning about hope in a weary world. One of the things I continue to hear from people and, and sort of the resonance of this moment with the, the quarantine shutdown, with the, the, the racial injustice, with this prolonged intense election season is this refrain. I am tired. I'm tired. I, I'm hearing that over and over. I'm feeling that as well. There's this sense of weariness. And now we're approaching the holiday season where there, there's this, this wonderful sense of joy, but also the, the busyness that, that encroaches in the, in the midst of the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas as you're doing shopping and wrapping and all of the things to get ready for, for the holiday. There's a sense of weariness and a sense of tiredness. People, people are tired. People are, I'm tired of my kids missing ball games and birthday parties. I'm, I'm tired of my, my kids, you know, wondering if my kid's skin color is going to end up being a, a sentence of death for them. I, I'm tired of partisan politicians hypocritically saying one thing, and then when it benefits them, hypocritically saying the, the opposite thing. I, I'm tired of, of wearing a mask and, and social distancing. I'm tired of people dying from this virus that we can't seem to control and that we can't see. I'm tired of wondering where my next paycheck's coming from and if my next paycheck is going to arrive. I am tired. And if, if you're tired, and, and I, I think you're probably tired. I think we're all tired. Um, you're, 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 you're not alone. We're, we, we're in a, a weary world. Our, our world is tired. Our world is weary. The world was weary um, 160 years ago in the 1850s as the North and the South were, were polarized against one another over the issue of slavery. And there was a man named John Sullivan Dwight who translated a relatively new Christmas hymn called Cantique du Noël from French into English. It was originally written by a poet named Placide Capot. And uh, there, there was a line in that in that hymn that said, Le monde entier tressé d'esperance, which translates, 
literally as the whole world trembles with hope. But there was this tension in the air and this weariness of the moment in the air. And I wonder if that was in in Dwight's mind and heart as he took a little liberty with his translation in these now famous words, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices in that beloved Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. The world was weary 160 years ago in the 1850s. The, the world was weary two millennia, uh, two millennia ago as Israel w- longed for her liberator to arrive. Israel with this long collective national memory, the memory of Abraham wandering through a land that Yahweh had promised to him but not yet given to him. The, the memory of, of Abraham's children and great-grandchildren and, and, and descendants for 400 years laboring in slavery in Egypt, the memory of that liberator finally arriving, Moses, who would lead them out of the land of slavery and to the brink of the promised land, though he wasn't allowed himself to go in, and the memory of taking the land only to spiral into the cycle of rebellion and the rescue that was brought by the judges in the centuries between taking the land and the king arriving and the people longed for a king. And so God gave him a king. And for a while, the the people were united under Saul and then David and Solomon as Israel sort of reached the height of its, its power and its prosperity. But then things fell apart again and the North and the South broke apart. And eventually both were dispersed and exiled. And finally in 586 BC, uh, 400 years after the United Kingdom, the kingdom was dispersed and the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, were sent into exile and exiled to Babylon. And just when 70 years later, the the people finally rebuilt the temple and were being restored to the land, yet again, they found one imperial power after another putting its foot on their neck as first Persia and then Greece and then Rome ruled over them. And then there was a, there was a season in, in 160 the 160s BC, where where there was a revolt of warrior Jews who took back the temple in the Maccabean revolt, which is what Jews celebrate today. The Jewish people celebrate as Hanukkah. But then that dynasty devolved and Rome took the rule of the land and the people again. And the people were weary. The people were tired. They were longing and looking for their deliverer. And they were praying for God to send the Messiah, the Christ who would set them free, the one who was the hope not just of Israel, but of the nations. This is where Paul tells us the good news that we celebrated Christmas in a world that was tired of Satan, exhausted by sin and wearied by death. God, the father sent God, the son. When the time came to completion, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. As that hymn says, God broke through the rebellion and the darkness and the death in a new and glorious morn, a new and glorious dawning of hope and light and life to all who will turn from their sin and trust in Christ. And we, like Israel, live and mourn in a land of lonely exile. We live in times in between the first arrival of Christ and his return. 
we live with a taste of life like God intended us to live as we look back to the beauty of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And we look forward, though, to the, the coming of his of his glory in the clouds as he returns to restore his people and creation. We are both now and then people. We are, we are people of now. We have a present real reality of, of, of life. And we are also a then people because we have not yet fully attained and, and embraced what, what God has promised to us. Peter says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that phrase, living hope. And it captures the now and then aspect of what it means to live the Christian life. We now live the life that God has intended us to live. He has regenerated us. He has made us, he has birthed us again. He has given us new life. And that's why our church exists, how people find that life like God intended for them to live at the intersection of wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission. We experience this life, but yet we don't experience it in fullness. We are a now people, but we are also a then people. Now, a living reality, but the hope of the then, that one day Jesus will return and all things will be made new. Living captures the now and hope captures the then. And the church through the, through the, the centuries has recognized this tension of living the Christian life and, and so in the early centuries of the church and finally in the, the fifth and sixth centuries after Christ, the church began to formally celebrate the first four Sundays before Christmas as the season of Advent, the season to remember what it was like for Israel to long for the Messiah and a season of, of longing for Jesus's return. It, was, it started as people began to fast in preparation for the feast. And there was this season of expectation and longing, of self-denial, of leaning in to the in-between. I think we need Advent this year more than ever. We need Advent this year because we've been in a prolonged season of longing and waiting. Longing and waiting. Those are two ways to describe what the Bible calls hope. So for the next few minutes and the next few weeks, I want to talk about hope. I want to talk about how God thrills our hearts with hope in a weary world. To answer that question, I want to look at Romans 5 and look at verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So, 
So Paul here is summarizing his discussion in Romans chapter 4, where he talks about the justification of Abraham by faith, that Abraham was considered righteous in God's sight, was considered blameless in God's sight, was considered forgiven and in and, and, and right standing with God because of his faith in God's provision and the sacrifice that God had provided, therefore having been justified by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, the biblical scholars refer to this as a divine passive, meaning this is something that God does and that we receive. We are justified by faith. We trust God. We trust what God has done for us in Jesus Christ in his death for us on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection resurrection, and we turn from our sin, and we trust in him, and he forgives our sin and gives us eternal life. We have been justified by faith and considered and counted righteous as if we were righteous, and, and that, that Christ's perfection was our own. We've been justified by faith, and he tells us five things that are, that are true because of justification by faith. We have peace with God. We have access to through Christ by faith. We stand in this grace. And then the last two, we boast in the hope of the glory of God and we boast in affliction because afflictions are the trailhead to the pathway of hope. And here in the text, the, 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 the discussion pivots from faith to hope. And these are closely related, but they're not identical. And we're going to see here three things about Hope. Three principles of hope. First, hope is sure. In verse 2, he says, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God means that hope is an objective reality. It is not a subjective feeling. It's not just what we feel. It is what is true. And the truth is the glory of God that is unchanging and unchangeable because God is unchanging and unchangeable. The glory of God that he revealed in creation, the glory of God that he showed to Moses on the mountain, the glory of God that traumatized Isaiah as the angels cried out, holy, holy, holy. The glory of God is so sure that our hope can only fail if God himself were to fail and God will not fail. Our hope is sure. The second thing, hope is possible. And not only that, but we boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. We don't only boast in hope, but we boast in our affliction. We boast in our suffering because they are the trailhead to the pathway of hope. These show us that rest can only come to the weary, that comfort can only come to the afflicted. Those who are already living their best life don't need hope. They already have all that they need. But those of us who are longing and waiting for the fullness to arrive, we need to live in hope. Those of us who are tired in a weary world, we need hope. We don't live our best lives. We groan and we suffer in the pain of this world. Sometimes something that has been done to us, something that's been done by us, but we suffer and we hurt. And Paul says we rejoice and we boast in our affliction. 
and he posts these checkpoints on the pathway toward hope, the trailhead starting with affliction, which which we start with this uncertain moment of of suffering and 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 the lockdown that threatens our livelihood and the the virus that threatens our vitality we we're weary of the world's sorrow and sadness and we come to the end of our ability to fix things and we snap at those we love the most and we treat them worse than we treat anyone else and we have to apologize and we have to repent again and we suffer and and we we long for Christ to have mercy upon our broken and weary world. Paul says, this is the gateway. This is the trailhead. This is how you know you're on the pathway to hope. Suffering isn't meaningless, but it is meaningful. It matters, and God has a purpose in it because it leads, we see here, to endurance. Endurance requires delay. You can't endure something that you're not waiting for. Endurance is a waiting room reality. Hope is prolonged faith in the midst of delay. Suffering teaches us that we can withstand the waiting. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 says that endurance is inspired by hope. We know we're on the way to hope when we're waiting and we're enduring. The word endurance shows up 32 times in the New Testament, one for every day of each month, plus a bonus for those days that are especially difficult. Affliction produces endurance, and then endurance over the course of time produces proven character. The word here has to do with something that is documented or verified. You know, we've seen the hopeful news recently of multiple vaccines that, that can provide protection against the coronavirus and, and COVID. And, and we've seen these, uh, these vaccines going through these, these trials and these tests and emerging from the third phase of trial. And they have been tested and now are being proven to be genuine. This is, this is what Paul is talking about. He's saying the testing of our faith produces perseverance, endurance, as it says elsewhere in scripture, that as we suffer and endure, that God is forging the, 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 the character, the genuineness, the authenticity of our lives, our character. And, and this affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character, and then proven character produces hope. The objective, sure hope of the glory of God and the, the return of Christ. Are you suffering? Are you tired? Are you waiting? Are you longing? You're on the pathway of hope. Hope is sure. Hope is possible. And third, hope is spiritual. This hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We say that hope is spiritual, but we don't mean that in some sort of ambiguous, sort of mushy-gushy sense. We want to capitalize the S because the, the, the hope we're talking about here is not some sort of feeling that we feel. It is the third person of the Trinity who inhabits our hearts. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit who was given us. 
that, that God has given us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit so fills our hearts, so fills our minds, so fill, fills our will, so fills our emotions, so fills our reality that we are full of love. And that grounds our hope. Hope will never disappoint us because it, it is it is embedded in the rock solid reality of God himself in the person of the spirit. But not only that, he continues into verse six and says, for while we were still sinners or helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Here's the progression. Hope doesn't disappoint us. Number one. Hope doesn't disappoint us. Secondly, because the spirit has been poured into our hearts, the spirit of love, the spirit who is the gift. And third, the spirit has been poured into our hearts because of what Christ did for us at Calvary. The spirit's empowering of our hope and the, the sure surety and the possibility and the certainty of hope are grounded in the soil of the top of Calvary. As the cross grounds the spirits indwelling of our hearts and the spirit then gives us hope that will not disappoint us. Are you tired? I get it. I feel it into a weary world and into weary hearts. God can thrill us with hope in the gospel. God the Father sent God the Son, and God the Father and Son sent God the Holy Spirit. In the spring of 2009, Laura and I got great news. We found out she was going to have a baby. And we were excited. We started you know, getting things ready. We started lining up appointments. We started praying and just rejoicing and had our first ultrasound. And the great news turned into grievous news as turns out the baby um, wasn't going to make it. A few months later, after we got through that, we got great news again, this time with a little tinge of anxiety Laura was going to have a baby. And again, under the harsh glare of fluorescent lights and waiting rooms, we found out again that we weren't going to be able to have that baby. We had those two miscarriages in the space of three or four months. And then three months later, we got great news again, this time with a sense of concern as we found out that Laura was going to have a baby. We sat in waiting rooms under the harsh glare of the cold and unmerciful fluorescent light and next to outdated magazines as we waited for good news for the first time. We went into those appointments and the great news turned out to be great news. The baby was healthy and the baby was strong and we found out it was going to be a girl. We thought about her name and we thought, we thought about her name and we thought, we want to name her Adeline and we want her middle name to be Hope because our weariness was met with the thrill of God's love and grace. I want to invite you 
in this Advent season over these next few weeks leading up to Christmas to lean in to the hope that God offers to us, to join us for these next few Sundays as we study the hope and the light and the life that Christ brings into the world.